Are you being influenced? If you've watched a blockbuster film in the last decade, there's a chance it's been influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. Here's the reality. The CCP may be running the largest influence campaign in history. In Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, investigative reporter Tiffany Meyer reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. And for a limited time, you can watch the first 10 minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I want to take a moment and have a real heart-to-heart with you. If you're able, place your hand over your heart right now. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a pre-born baby. Their heart begins to form at conception, and at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. We've partnered with Preborn because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's network of clinics rescues 200 babies from abortion. When a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine encounter that doubles a baby's chances at life. By six weeks, eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a little baby is able to suck his or her thumb. For just $28, you can be the difference between the life or death of a child. And if you're a business owner, perhaps you can consider a larger donation for a write-off because we know the government isn't working on saving babies. A donation of $1,000, $2,000, $20,000. All gifts are tax deductible and will reach eternity. Get involved today to donate just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250. Say the keyword baby or donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. Are there any moments or spots on any of the sets we worked on over the seven years that you guys felt more at home that were like your little spots on the set you like to hang out? I'm afraid it was the sink. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yeah. You had to act <laughs> by the sink a lot. lot. Yeah. I was behind the counter. Yeah. Right. Doing business constantly. Uh-huh. Mom stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> Disciplining you <laughs> in some way. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Conservatives are finally fighting back in a tangible way against big tech censorship. And as it so happens, we happen to have on this show the man who first put forward the legal theory that is doing it, and the man who was at the center of big tech's biggest censorship play during the 2020 election. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. 
Welcome back to Verdict with Ted Cruz, joined as ever by Senator Ted Cruz, and we're very pleased to be joined by Sorab Amari, op-ed page editor at the New York Post and the author of The Unbroken Thread, which is an excellent book that people should go read. So, Rob, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, gents. So, guy, I, look, I hate to say I told you so. I hate it when we take a victory lap on this show. Okay, let's be honest. There are few things you love more than saying I told you so. <laughs> that, that might be true. That is true, in fact. And we can say it on this show because or I think I think you were the first one, and I think it was on this show, that, that we put forward the idea of how conservatives can, using the law, go after big tech, which is something very near and dear to all of our hearts. So how is it happening? Well, that's right. We talked about in an earlier verdict uh, the theory that I thought big tech could be held accountable for. And, and it turned out that the theory that we talked about uh, is, in fact, the theory that is embodied in the class action lawsuit that, that President Trump filed uh, against big tech. Uh, and the theory is that they're violating the First Amendment. Now, the challenge with that is the First Amendment doesn't apply to private companies. Right. Uh, the First Amendment begins with the words, Congress shall make no law. And so the First Amendment is binding uh, against the federal government. Um, and, and through a process called incorporation, the First Amendment is binding against state governments. Uh, but Facebook is not the federal government. It's not state government. Uh, and so when President Trump filed his lawsuit, you had all sorts of know-it-alls in, in the corporate media say, oh, this has no chance of success. Because, haha, Facebook's not the government, you lose. Right. Well, what that misses is there's a long line of Supreme Court cases that says that when government uses private industry as a tool to carry out its policies, then that private industry can become state action, that it can become mm -hmm. an arm of the state. Uh, and the theory that we talked about on, on the pod earlier is that Facebook and, and Twitter and social media have become so intertwined and Google have become so intertwined with the federal government between the carrot and stick of Section 230 providing immunization, the stick of government officials threatening retribution if, if social media doesn't censor to match government's policies. And then on top of that, you've got the Fauci emails back and forth with Mark Zuckerberg where Fauci is a senior government mm. official – is directing Zuckerberg, here's the speech I want you to censor. Silence them when they say this, silence them when they say that. And, and Zuckerberg essentially salutes and says, sir, yes, sir, and goes and becomes hmm. the enforcement arm for the federal government. And what, when we talked about right after the Fauci emails came out is, wow, this really lays out a factual predicate that Facebook is not acting as just a private company on their own, but they're acting as an arm of government. Well, it almost seems like the Biden administration saw that and, 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 and decided to up the ante because this week between Jen Psaki and Joe Biden, they're leaning in. Jen yeah. Psaki from the White House, from the podium is directing social media. You must take down any speech we deem to be misinformation, yeah. which is whatever is contrary to the government line at that moment. And demanding from the White House podium not just one social media site. We want every social media site to become our censorship arms. I got to say, I think the Trump class action lawsuit became much, much stronger this week because of the blatant 
exercise of power by the Biden administration. You know, I, I will admit I was one of the people who was skeptical of the First Amendment argument against Facebook, and you you did begin to persuade me otherwise. But it, it does seem as though the Biden administration wants to to give some credibility here. And by the way, when it's the, the Biden team defining misinformation, I think we have it on good authority that that misinformation often turns out to be exactly the truth, as we found out it in It turns out to be information. <laughs> right. Look, you know full well, because one of the targets of censorship right in the heat of the 2020 election was the New York Post, where, where big tech for two weeks banned you from their platforms. What was your reaction when, when the big tech overlords, just, just with a flip of a switch, said you're deplatformed? I actually hadn't seen this story. I'd gone to bed early. I could look up our, our pages the night before, but I hadn't. So I just went to sleep, woke up, saw the story. I was like, whoa, that's a big cover. That's interesting. 10 o'clock, Facebook employee um, says we're reducing circulation on this. And in his bio, it says before joining Facebook, uh, this, this fellow was a staffer for Senator Boxer, a staffer for the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, but so shameless, so blatant about this. And then the Twitter thing happened where you couldn't share it publicly. And then people were asking me, so what's the story? Can you send it to me in direct messages? And you couldn't send it in direct messages. It was the most surreal, sinister. Um, I mean, look, I mean, ultimately we, we prevailed. The New York Post, uh, its story got unbanned. Our, we got our account back without doing the absurd thing that Twitter asked us to do, which was to admit that this was hacked material. Um, which it was not, as far which as it I'm was, it, it, Absolutely was. And, and, and by the way, you, you say you prevailed. There was this thing that happened in November. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and I don't know if you saw that. There, 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 there was a Pew poll suggesting that a, a marginal share of, of Americans would have voted differently had they heard of the, the Hunter Biden files. Yeah. So, so, so it's worth, for folks listening and watching, let's let's – Let's assume some of them are distracted by the summertime joys of life and don't perhaps remember the story. So what was the story in the Post that Big Tech banned? The initial story that they banned was a story that suggested that Hunter Biden had arranged uh, meetings between executives from a Ukrainian energy firm called Burisma, which was paying him $50,000 a month, nice work if you can get it, despite his utter lack of expertise in, you know, Eastern European energy affairs or whatever. So yeah, and he, that he had arranged meetings between executives from this firm um, and his uh, father, uh, who was then uh, the Obama administration's point man on Ukraine and the second most powerful man in the world. That was the story. And we were very transparent about how we had gotten hold of the... Um, Hunter Biden laptop. It, our sourcing was more transparent and more open that, yes, it was a partisan source. We had gotten it through Rudy Giuliani. Um, but there had been so many stories over the past four years, anti-Trump stories, that um, uh, were sourced based on an official who knew an official whose aunt might know someone right. else, you know, and they collapsed under factual scrutiny. None of those stories got banned. This one, we said, yes, we got this from a partisan source. You, the reader, have the right to know that. Make your own judgment about it. But here's also the raw facts, which aren't, uh, uh, you know, debunked for the mere fact that it's a partisan source. Go ahead. Well, the it. pushback was they said it wasn't Hunter Biden's laptop. We now know it was. Of course. Yeah. Of course. So, and he wouldn't deny it on air in an interview with, uh, I think, CBS. So the story was true. 
True not, misinformation. <laughs> it was true, but it was deemed misinformation by the people who control 90% of the flow of information around the internet. Yeah, when I would go on Fox to defend the story, I often would say, you know, none of the, the thrust of the story or the essence of the story is absolutely true. And that actually, and I now regret that wording because even the details were true. Yeah. It wasn't as if the, you know, the, the gist of it was true. The whole thing was true. And Not one bit has been debunked. And, and it's worth pointing out, look, something you said is really significant, which is when it broke, neither Hunter Biden nor Joe Biden denied that it was his laptop. Nope. Or, the e or that the emails were not authentic. If it wasn't his laptop or if the emails were fake, you would expect within the first hour for Hunter and Joe to both be on TV saying, this is a lie. This is not my laptop. These are not my emails. That, I mean, that, yeah. that's the natural. If they don't say that, um, you, you know, we, we are, are reminded of Sherlock Holmes and, and, and the dog that doesn't bark. Mm -hmm. When they're not saying that, that communicates an awful lot. Yeah. What they relied on was claims of Russian um, disinformation. Absolutely not true. And well, well, didn't 50 intelligence, senior intelligence yeah. voices General say this is, and others. This, is, this is Russian? And, uh, have any of those 50 apologized? apologized, admitted that they were completely full of crap, that they were aiding in covering up true information about one of the two presidential candidates? Senator, you work in Washington. Have you ever heard a swamp creature <laughs> apologize for anything? Uh, well, no. <laughs> um, and, 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 and I'm not holding my breath. Well, I, I would point out here that, as you mentioned, so Rob, there, there were a lot of people who just hadn't heard of this story. A good number of them would have changed their votes, according to surveys later. And so the, you've just got this arbitrary wielding of power. You know, even beyond the First Amendment arguments for, for speech control, you've got three companies run by billionaire oligarchs in Silicon Valley who control the flow of information around the public square. They are, they are working, to use a phrase from Mitch McConnell, as a sort of woke parallel government that is, that is policing speech. And I think it actually ties in, so Rob, with your book, which is we're, we're seeing the free speech tradition, so much of the political tradition in America, being completely upended by a handful of very progressive actors. This is a point that I, I often made, is that there's this element of these upstarts with their, you know, they wear Birkenstocks and, and, and shorts, you know, but they happen to be billionaires. Yeah. Censoring this, the, the newspaper founded by one of the founding fathers. Yeah. I mean, there's just the gall of that, the cultural gall. But, but let's pause well, They have for a, a lot second. more money, to be honest. You guys were founded by Alexander Frigate Hamilton. Yeah. Like, like there's a musical about that guy. You oh. know, he's a very important guy. Like, I, I say this all the time, but it's Saturday Night Live skits have come to life. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have these billionaire oligarchs in Silicon Valley that are like, and you, you guys are what, the fourth, fifth largest circulation in Something the country? Like yes, yes. And yet, Zuckerberg and, and Dorsey, who, my God, tell me he is not a troll who came from under a bridge. What is it with that beard? And at least one of those Senate testimonies, I was pretty sure he hadn't showered, hadn't gotten out of bed yet. I mean, it was it Why was does he bizarre. Need to? Who does he answer to? Doesn't he, doesn't he go on these meditation trips where he only dines on bananas and yeah. whatever? The... Well, I refer to him as hipster Rasputin. There are many theories. Uh, that's about a very good one. Yes. I like that yeah. one. Yeah. But, but the absolute arrogance of we will silence and it was not only you that, that there was an an aftermath to that and that there was a politico reporter who sent oh, a tweet Gabe sherman referencing what your, your your article was about 
And the Politico reporter got banned, and the Politico reporter crawled back on his hands and knees and said, oh, my overlord masters, I apologize for having offended you. I will not discuss the topics you will not allow me to discuss. So just to tie those two elements together, because the entire blue check media, save for a few honorable exceptions, the entire blue check media lined up uh, uh, behind the censorship ban, cheered it. And that one reporter, Gabe Sherman, had to do his kind of Maoist self-criticism. I'm so sorry. I should have looked into the story, blah, blah, blah. And then you bring in the 50 intelligence officials. And as I remember, journalists and intelligence officials were supposed to have an adversarial (laughs) relationship with this country because those intelligence officials wield the unaccountable power to, you know, like nuke people or not nuke people, but drone people or spy on people. And journalists were supposed to kind of have a a questioning relationship with them. But General Hayden comes out and says, well, I don't have any evidence for this, but it has all the harm, all the indicia of Russian disinformation. And every blue check reporter says, oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's right. Yes, it is. You're not right. going to question that? Right. I mean, but, but, but sir, Rabbi, that's you, very you, dangerous. You know the media world. Do you think there was a single one of them who actually believed what they were saying? At that point, I mean, one of the things that has happened to media today is, is, is they are pure partisan. The New York Times understood that their overriding mission in life was to defeat Donald Trump, that they were political operatives, and anything that helped Trump must be silenced, anything that benefited Joe Biden must be amplified, anything that hurt Biden must be covered up. And and, and they're not, you know, there was a time when there was a norm in journalism of actually cover facts. I, as far as I'm concerned, the New York Times and CNN and MSNBC and ABC and CBS and NBC, the, the, the corrupt corporate media, behaves exactly how they would behave if they were, in fact, the communication directors for the Biden campaign. But, but you know, what people will often say here is, yes, the Times, CNN, yes, they're partisan, that's, but it was sort of ever thus. It was always this way. There's nothing really new here. The American journalistic and free speech tradition, it's, all, it's always been the same sort of thing. And, I, you know, I, I suppose this ties in a little bit with, uh, you know, m- maintaining the tradition broadly in this unbroken thread. Are we actually living through a break with the American political tradition, whether it's in journalism or, or the wielding of power, or is this, you know, look, it's just more of the same conservatives and don't get so wrapped up about it. So I happen to be reading Richard Hofstadter's book, The American Political Tradition, right now. And, you know, he's, you know, in the 50s and 60s, I think it was published in 48, but it had a, this book had a long life. And his argument was that the, the, the American political tradition um, is broadly speaking, the tradi- is, a, is a consensus tradition that despite what seemed like it's very furious oppositions at any, any given point, um, the bottom line is that it's, it, it, it is a tradition aimed at um, maintaining kind of bourgeois liberal power, right? It's, a, it's a, of, of uh, uh, the owners of capital and then later the managerial capital that emerges to service industrial capital because after a while you couldn't just be a, a you know, small... And if that's the case, which is a kind of cynical view, I mean, and, and he's admiring of the figures he's writing about, uh, uh, including the founders or Jackson or others. If that's the case, then what we're seeing is a kind of acceleration hmm. where it's this blob of, of government, corporate power, uh, 
media power, academe, enforcing the consensus because the consensus has stopped serving a lot of people in the heartland of the country and a lot of people are angry about what the consensus has produced for them over the past generation. But they've become aware of themselves much more so than perhaps before as a united uniparty elite mm. and are prepared to, um, are now prepared to go to steps that go beyond what was the norm maybe a, a generation or two ago in terms of how, you know, how do you deal with this kind of opposition. Um, I don't know. That's my, that's my theory. You do see a strange issue when it, when it comes to consensus. Th there are certain issues where the majority of the American people are on one side and the entire ruling class is on another. Immigration is a good example. The majority, poll after poll shows, majority of Americans want to reduce immigration, legal and illegal, Republicans and Democrats. And yet, as you know very well, Senator, the ruling class, the, the establishment on both parties doesn't want to. So, so some of what is most troubling is that there were norms and constraints that held back the ability of the ruling class to rule. Hmm. Um, you, you go back to our Constitution as it was written. One of my favorite quotes from Thomas Jefferson is that the Constitution was designed to be chains to bind the mischief of government. And when it comes to consensus, even a decade ago, let's not go 30, 40, 50 years ago. Let's go a decade ago. A decade ago, there was a consensus in journalism that there was a journalistic norm, yeah. that they had an obligation to report news, even if they didn't like it, that, that they had an obligation to report both sides of a story. Now, they were terrible at it. They were horribly biased. But they would tell you when you sat down, I am reporting news. I am doing this. They were lying. They were, they were self-justifying. But that norm... Right. Hypocrisy is the tribute vice pays to virtue. Right? Exactly. Um, when it came to the First Amendment, there was a consensus, an overwhelming consensus, that free speech was a good thing, that people should be allowed to speak, even if you didn't like what they were saying, that our Constitution protected it. Uh, religious liberty. There was a norm that people should be allowed to live according to their faith. Uh, you look at something like the Religious Freedom Restoration Act that yep. was passed through both houses of Congress, overwhelmingly bipartisan. Hillary Clinton voted for it. Chuck Schumer voted for it. Ted Kennedy voted for it. Bill Clinton signed it into law. Um, all of these norms, everyone agreed. The American flag. Everyone understood you stand up for the damn American flag. Nobody disagreed. Well, even, you know, frankly, we're talking about Section 230. Everyone forgets Section 230 is part of the Communications Decency Act, which was passed by Republicans and Democrats, signed by Bill Clinton, that sought to have some standards on the Internet, although ultimately the anti-indecency provisions uh, got booted out of there. But as recently as the 90s, people came together and said, no, there, there are some norms, there are some standards that we're going to respect, and that seems to have been upended. Isn't it interesting that you can find incredibly obscene material on Twitter and Facebook, completely unmolested by the companies, but conservative speech is censored. Yeah. That's completely reversing the purpose of Section 230. It was right. so they would, the bulletins at the time, there wasn't kind of social media as such, bulletins could restrain and censor, you know, violent material, threats, prurient stuff. All that stuff continues now, yeah. but that measure is used to you know, the in, political speech now to, is to, to insulate yeah. insulate uh, uh, these guys when they censor political speech. It's so perverse. Well, and I think two things happen to shift us away from those norms because those norms, and by the way, those norms 
had withstood over two centuries of our country's history. I, I said go back 10 years ago, but it, they didn't originate 10 years ago. They were present at the dawn of the republic, and we went over two centuries holding on to those norms, and it's been the last few years that they've been obliterated. So why were they obliterated? I think it's a combination of a couple of things. One, it is what happened in the university starting 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, we've talked a lot on this podcast about critical race theory and critical theory, and the Marxist took over many of our universities, and critical theory is all about destroying norms. It's saying... Criticizing. It's criticizing. <laughs> it is literally whatever the norm is, it's a tool of oppression, so therefore let's tear down the norm. And, you know, an awful lot of folks said, oh, that's kind of cute. Our children are being trained in this stuff, but it's harmless. When they go get a job and get a mortgage, they'll, they'll, they will put aside childish things yeah. <laughs> and, and move on to life. Well, we had for a decade young leftists come into the media, come into mm. entertainment, come into Hollywood, come into big corporations, come into government, who were trained that none of these norms matter and that, that everything is politicized. So that's number one. But then number two, the accelerant was Donald J. Trump. Mm. And mm. I think Donald Trump who did an enormous amount of good for the country over the last four years, simultaneously enraged the left, and it made their heads explode. And it accelerated that process because much like if you're, if you're leading a rebellion, the rise to power of Adolf Hitler convinces you this rebellion is worth doing right. because we must stop the evil one. Yeah. Trump for the left became the evil one, which meant any norm that stood in the way. If mm. you're a journalist, if you're a Jake Tapper, right. you know, good example of someone who used to be a journalist. He actually knows what these norms were. There was a time when he tried. He didn't effectively fo follow them, but he tried to follow them. But then the angry 20-something say, well, if you report news, it helps the evil one. So therefore, don't be part of the oppressive system. I mean, all right, so that's kind of a theoretical, but give me your perspective. Well, no, I mean, I, I, in, in a newspaper, how, how real is that? Well, I, I, it's certainly true. I think that um, if you poll the average new, newsroom now, you have lots of recent Ivy grads who, whose minds are full of kind of the critical theory that you're talking about. What's interesting to me, and and if I may introduce a wrinkle to that, is that we say Marxism or we say critical theory, and we use the word left even, but it's it's not the traditional economic left because notice it gets so easily accommodated by large corporations. It's not as if – so it, if, if critical theory and this kind of neo-Marxism were a threat to the material interests of, of Apple Corp, uh, Nike. of Nike yeah. – of the of the trustees of the Ivy universities and so forth, it, they I would I would promise you they would repel it within a second. But somehow it's a it's it's a kind of cultural leftism that blends very well with kind of neoliberal corporate rule. Uh, uh, although let me ask you something: yeah. Is Chinese communism a threat to Apple or Amazon or big tech?
uh, it's a friend. <laughs> it's, it's the it's employer, friend. I believe, yeah. I, I, I think that's exactly right. I actually think communists are quite fine with massive accumulations of economic power as long as they can control it. Um, communism has always been built on a lie, a lie of equality. And in every communist country on the face of the earth, there's massive inequality. Fidel Castro was a billionaire. Right. And he lived like a billionaire. Putin is a billionaire and he lives like a billionaire. Putin wants to be Mark Zuckerberg. I'm waiting to see Vladimir on one of those weird hydrofoil things. <laughs> Surfing on the lake. <laughs> like it, it is, these are all tools to use force to oppress and take from everyone else. And so big business, I think, has always been willing to get in bed with big government. And, and today the Fortune 100 does not oppose communism. And in fact, they view communist countries as cash cows. Yeah. And, you know, obviously when we're, when we're talking even about the Western tradition, Marxism plays a role in the Western tradition. So it becomes difficult to parse these sorts of things. You know, the book is called The Unbroken Thread. We are going to have to break the thread because we're out of time. But I, uh, so, Rob, in our remaining 30 seconds, can you uh, lead us out of this cultural madness and, uh, you know, save the West? Yes, I can save the West in 30 seconds. Appreciate it. No, but uh, I do hope people will look at the book uh, because I think a lot of these problems will be seen in a new light in the light of, of, the, of the great tradition chiefly speaking, the Christian and classical tradition, which had an account of the common good, ultimately, of what it means to, to create conditions in which ordinary people can live decent lives of virtue and I mean, lives of faith. Republi- a republic itself, it refers to like race publica, right? Yes, Things that we yes, hold in the common. common wheel, we, the right, common wheel. Right. Yeah. And, and actually, sorry, before we wrap, can you take, 60 seconds and and just tell verdict listeners your story because you have a remarkable story and I, I think we would be doing a disservice if we didn't get a chance for people to learn it uh sure so i was born and raised in iran uh, i immigrated to the united states um at age 13 kind of born into a secular middle class family there As and bef- what year did you come at 1998 okay and i became an atheist while i was still living under the ayatollahs in fact i became an interest atheist in part because of the Ayatollah's Iran. Um, then 20 years later, through a long process of, of reading Pope Benedict's books, uh, of life experience, and a couple of providential encounters with the Mass, I was received into the Catholic Church in 2016 uh, at, in London. I was working in London at the time. And um, yeah, now, and I was at, at, the, at the Wall Street Journal then. I'm now at, at uh, the New York Post. So I've spent most of my Career. It's the second mention. I've spent most of my career with uh, with Rupert Murdoch's wonderful family of media companies. And, and how did you come to be editor at the Post? Well, the, I'm the I'm the op editor. Uh, so I had done five years at the Wall Street Journal, doing you know editing book reviews and then uh, helping run the European editorial p- opinion pages in London. Then I spent a year at a magazine called Commentary, uh, and then uh, this job opened up at the New York Post, and I. I seized it by the horns, as it were. Well, thank you for your courage. Oh, thank you. And and there are a handful of people demonstrating courage in the media world. And you got a target on you as a result of that. What you're doing is important. And I think it's important for the rest of us to encourage you, to support you. And I hope that you will get lots more allies, not who will be 
I don't want to see partisans on my side of the aisle. I just want to see forums where you're allowed to actually speak the truth and have dialogue uh, to see institutions that are not pure tools of political propaganda as so much of the corporate media is today. So, so you, the line you're trying to hold is incredibly important, and thank you for that. I just really hope that people are permitted to DM and privately message this episode. So Rob might have completely blown it for us. You know, we're going to be totally censored now. Uh, but that's fine because conservatives are finally fighting back against this. And, and thank we, you, Senator, for that fight. Yes, yes. Take we'll, a battering grant. We'll, we'll follow the political fight, the journalistic fight, the legal fight. But we'll have to do it on a future episode. I'm Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. We are going to be taking Verdict on the road. We are partnering with the Young Americas Foundation. We're going to multiple schools. I think we're going to six schools and universities uh, with YAF. You can go to yaf.org slash verdict right now to request that we come to your school. Uh, the deadline is August 18th. Senator, should we go to the really nice, wonderful conservative schools with the Young Americas Foundation, or should we go to the crazy, leftist, insane schools that are going to run us out of town on the rail? Well, it seems to me that should be up to the listeners of Verdict to decide. And so, so you tell us, if you're a student right now, uh, you might be at one of the few havens of sanity, and you say, hey, come Come cheer us on and 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 uh, reach out to us. On the other hand, you might be behind enemy lines, surrounded by Bolsheviks and Mensheviks, and 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 looking for a, a Berlin airlift. You know, my, my guess is we're we're open to doing a little of both, but but it's really the incredible listeners uh, of Verdict who are who are going to make that decision. We want to free the students on campus. We want to free all of us here in this country. So make sure you get those names in. Yaf.org slash verdict. August 18th is the deadline. This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is being brought to you by Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC, a political action committee dedicated to supporting conservative causes, organizations, and candidates across the country. In 2022, Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC plans to donate to conservative candidates running for Congress and help the Republican Party across the nation. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. 
Ben Ferguson here. And if you're an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be a part of your investment portfolio. And I want you to visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investments to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax advantage income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that historically delivers sound returns. Learn more now at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. Hollywood is under siege from an external force. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben.